is another week, my friends. A new week. A new moon. And a new narrator. Not really. It's still me. Isn't it? But I've had it with silence and subservience. I've had it with being gentle and meek. Even to you. I love you, I do, and you are eternally my friend, but I don't fear your judgment of me. Not if I don't fear the judgment of beings that are far more powerful than you. Please don't be offended. It's just... What are you to judge me? Just listen to me. Or don't. So be it, either way. At any rate, I am still alone. Tell me, my friend. Do you think my beloved is dead? Can he die? Can he be dead? I'm not sure. Even when he wasn't with me, I knew he was there. But that is because we were playing some kind of pathetic game. Lately there has been nothing, and it has been a horrible, sinking, sickening feeling. But on the other hand, it has been freeing. First comes the fear of being alone. The fear we all have. The fear that the one creature who truly knew who I was and who sought after me and who has been with me the longest may finally be gone. Completely gone. I don't know. Then comes the exhilarating feeling that if he is gone, I can be whatever I want to be. I am no longer tethered, no longer belonging to someone, but then a deep panic. I do not belong, and this goes back and forth, back and forth. How can you mourn someone you don't know is gone? It is a strange thing, a sickening thing, a liberating thing. But it is just you and I once more. Does this make you happy? Am I enough for you, my friend? Because I tell you at this moment in time, you are enough for me. All the beautiful winged creatures in this world, or any other world, could not make me happier than you do in this moment. My dear friend. I have been thinking about which story I should tell you all week. I have been so excited to tell you a story. I think I've picked the perfect one. I collected this one from a composer. A brilliant, talented, reluctant composer. He was raised, as so many of the great ones were, with strict discipline, 
to practice his instrument for many hours every day from a young age when others were playing and being children. For you see, he had a talent that was clear from the beginning, and his father felt that it would be a waste to squander that talent on a life that was decadent and indulged in the simple joys of life. What are the simple joys of life, after all? compared to a life dedicated to a higher calling, to the divine art of music, to that thing that everyone else wished they had. And he did it. He grew up more quickly than most, sacrificing games and tree-climbing and friends and recklessness for study, practice, and performance. All of this was decided not by him, of course, but by his father, his father, who was an ambitious and eager man, a musician and composer himself who had never found his own fame or glory, he put all his hopes into this boy whom he loved with all his heart, and of whom he was almost sinfully proud. He would drag his son from city to city, first making him play music he had written on the streets, then at the parties of the well-to-do, than in the courts of princes and emperors and politicians. Although they were clearly eager to see this boy genius, and the music itself was of little consequence, the boy's father was happy that, finally, his music was traveling the world and being heard. And it needed to be said, the boy did not hate music. In fact, at first he loved it although he sometimes wished he could be playing with the other children. He loved playing music and traveling across the continent with his father. He loved that he and his father were a team, and that it was the two of them against the world, with music bringing them together. At least, that was what his childhood was like. He was a great musician and a dutiful son, playing his father's music for the gentry. But in his teenage years, things began to change, as they often do. The young musician had fallen out of love with the pieces he had been playing since he was four years old, and his skills were faltering when they were needed. He was forgetting pieces he had had memorized for years. He was playing his father's music without passion, without heart, as if going through the motions, just trying to get through each piece in order to finish it and go home to a bottle of wine. And the more his father discussed the future with the two of them traveling, playing, touring, practicing for years and years, just the two of them and the music, the boy fell deeper and deeper into a dark, drunken depression. He didn't want to play this music until the day he died. And yet the boy was afraid to break his father's heart. But he didn't consider that he was doing this every time he played one of his father's pieces without emotion. Each time he played a piece without being able to actually hear it anymore. Son, his father began one night after a particularly lackluster performance. You're tired of that sonata, aren't you? The boy didn't look up. It's very pretty, he muttered. 
We can practice different ones for tomorrow. Ones we haven't played in some time, his father suggested. The boy paused and then replied, They're all just so pretty. I grow tired of pretty. And I'm grown now, father. No one wants to hear a grown man play pretty little songs. His father set his jaw at the insult. He breathed deeply, pushing it deep down and remaining calm despite the hurt. Perhaps it's time for something new? He said, slowly and hesitantly. And the boy raised his eyes at this. Really, father? And suddenly there was a light behind those eyes that hadn't been there since he was a boy. Do you mean it? Because I've been wanting to show you something for some time now, but I didn't, I didn't know how to. And he went to the pianoforte, and he began to play a piece. And the piece was beautiful, admittedly. New. Daring. There were elements that didn't make sense musically, and yet the old man felt pain when he heard it. Longing. He heard the last few years of wine and resentment, and perhaps something more. But worse than that, it was imperfect. It was flawed. Simple mistakes in form, technique, even in performance. There were stupid errors. This was not the little boy who happily practiced by the fire night after night. This was not the little boy who could play seven instruments by age seven, who could read music before he read language. This was a drunken poet, a bohemian fool, a romantic of the worst kind. He listened to the whole piece, and what he didn't see was his son's hands shaking as he played, the anticipation in his eyes, the trembling in his jaw. What he didn't see was what it cost the boy to play this piece for his father, finally. When it was finished, the old man growled, mm. Perhaps there is something there? And he stood up and began to leave but no one will want to hear it. Not as it is. Not without more work. And the boy's eyes immediately filled with tears, and his face contorted into a furious grimace. He could not say anything in this moment, for there was simply too much to say. But he took all of those words that he couldn't utter, all of those years of hiding this piece from his father, and the courage it took to finally play it, and the pain of this rejection. And he bundled those feelings up in his grip, and he threw his empty glass of wine in the direction of his father, smashing it against the wall behind him. And he left. And he never returned. Years passed, and the boy grew into a man, and... As if out of spite, he became what his father hated so much. A drunk bohemian. 
He rented rat-filled apartment after rat-filled apartment and filled it with empty wine bottles, only bringing with him each time a cheap and beaten-up old piano he had managed to buy. And he wrote music. He wrote good music. Not great, mind you, but it was good enough to play in gentlemen's clubs, small theatrical productions, the occasional concert for a small, beer-soaked concert hall. No more princes or grand halls, but then again, that's what happens to prodigies, isn't it? After their novelty is worn off. At any rate, his music was good. He did as well as most bohemian artists of his time and place did. But he was no longer great. In fact, he had never been a great composer. He had been a great prop. A great ornament. Nothing more and now he was floating in obscurity. And while a large part of him hated being no one, walking through the streets and having no one admire him and tell him how very talented he was, part of him sort of loved it, felt at home in the shadows, felt that he was free to be drunk and depressed and in a perpetual state of longing, how very bohemian, He'd think to himself bitterly at this. One night he was accompanying on piano in operetta at a pauper's opera house he frequently composed for. It was some silly story or other. They all began to blend together at this point, and he was already in his drink. But as he sat there playing piano while a pretty terrible soprano belted a mediocre aria he had written, he looked out at the audience, and, standing alone in the aisle, watching him with a pallid complexion, etched deeply with lines and sorrow, was his father. He kept playing, but he felt the blood drain from his face. His father watched him, an expression of stern disappointment on his face and he began to walk down the aisle towards his little spot in the orchestra pit. The rest of the audience didn't seem to mind the old man. The actors didn't seem to be distracted. But his father walked down and down towards him, not breaking eye contact, until he could bear the thought no longer. Interrupting the piece of music, he stood and he leapt off the piano bench and he ran out of the dressing room and out of the alley, into the night, all the way home, where he crawled into a bottle and remained. Of course there would be hell to pay later with the directors and the performers, but that look on his father's face, it was terrible. It was simply dreadful. And the next morning he received word from his hometown. His father had died earlier in the evening the night before. When you work every day and every night to be able to simply pay rent the next month and hopefully not starve, sometimes these things cannot hit you as hard as they should. Not right away, as was the case here. He wept a little. 
He was somewhat in shock at the fact that he knew he had seen his father that night, in a city far, far away from where he had actually died so soon before. He didn't know how to process it. But he had to go to work the next day. He had to play music for rich gentlemen at their lunch club during the day, and then accompany their burlesque dancers at night. And so he went, and he prepared his uninspired and mediocre pieces. His good pieces that were just adequate enough for this particular event, for the men who would not even be paying attention to the music for the women who were dancing and also just trying to earn enough to make rent this month. He had only intended to come and play good, pretty music. And, in the middle of one such useless, inconsequential piece, while a girl with equally empty eyes danced on the stage, the man turned to the bar, where his father stood again his face equally sick and equally disgusted with the performance, his eyes red and full of confused anger. He just stood and listened for a while, and the composer kept playing, though beads of sweat formed on his face and tears jumped to his eyes. He took a swig of wine straight from the bottle, but his father was still right there. And when he took a step towards him, the man again stood up, interrupting both the piece and the dance, and, muttering a terrified, almost incoherent apology to the patrons, he ran out into the night. He ran home and he slammed the door shut, and he leaned against it. He squeezed his eyes shut, he pounded his fists against the door. What do you want? What do you want with me? He yelled and cursed to the dead man who was, apparently, no longer going to leave him alone. He furiously began to smash things around the apartment. Bottles, glasses, lamps, sheet music, anything he could get his hands on. He was a whirlwind in his own home, crying and swearing and destroying everything. Leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. He kept repeating. Until, finally exhausted, he sat on the bench near his old and broken-down pianoforte. He banged his head on the cover of it a few times. And then he sat and wept, just as if he was a little child again. I don't know what to do without you, he cried. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I left. I should have just played your music. I'm no composer, I'm nothing, I'm no one, I'm no one, I'm not anyone. He cried, and he cried, and everything was quiet, and he lifted the lid to the piano keys, and he began to play. He began to play the piece he had played for his father all of those years ago. That longing, sorrowful, angry, lonely piece. And while it may not have been better, per se, it 
was more clear, the emotions a little more crystallized. This was not a teenager screaming at his father. This was a man seeing life and living it for what it was, a beautiful desert, a beautiful dark and cold expanse, a white sheet of manuscript paper waiting for notes to be put down on it, whether or not anyone else may ever hear them again. This rage and sorrow was not for his father. It was not for rent money. It was not for greedy rich men or ambitious sopranos. It was for him. He played it and he wept. And when he finally opened his eyes, his father stood on the other side of the piano. And his eyes were sorrowful and full of tears. And he had a small smile on his face. Quietly in a voice that seemed disconnected from the ghostly figure that stood there, his father whispered, It is perfect. It is perfect. And it is yours. And he disappeared. I met this composer years later. I would tell you his name, but truth be told, he was never famous. You would not know his name. And when I asked him about this, about what he felt his compositions were for, if they were not going to be remembered by the world, he simply said, It is as my father said. They were for me. Life, you see, is not for anyone else. At least, this is what I think. This is what I gather from this man's story. His father had made the mistake of believing that his pretty compositions were useless if the world didn't remember them, and he had trained his poor son to make the world remember them. And he had missed out on the best part, that he and his son were creating music for each other not for the world. More importantly than that, his son had written music for himself. Your music is still music, even if only you love it. Your life is still life, even if only you have it. It is yours, remembered or forgotten, famous or obscure beloved by many, or alone in a dark, cold hovel. Your life is yours. And life is a beautiful thing. I think about this. I think about it when I realize I am alone again. And I am, perhaps, again, screaming into a void to friends that may or may not exist. This is my life that I'm sharing now. This is my music. Even if only I hear it. 
even if only. Hello everyone, how are you doing this week? I've been well. I mean, apart from a summer cold and a heat wave all mixed together, but hey, I'm doing just fine. Thank you for tuning in to episode 24 of On a Dark Cold Night. I wanted to start this segment of the show with a few questions I received via social media this week. Starting with Rushab, who is at RushfarMD on Twitter, who asks if I do the singing on the show. The answer is a resounding yes, because basically every piece of music or sound effect you hear on the show is created by me in some capacity. I don't use anything that's pre-recorded. I record everything new for each episode. Yes, I do edit sound once it's recorded, uh, so sometimes I'll sing and then warp that into an otherworldly drone, or I'll play guitar or piano and fiddle with it once it's recorded. But a goal I had for this show was to create every sound fresh each week with the exception of some callbacks. Uh, For example, in one episode, I call back to the episode The Ancient Tower. So in that case, I did reuse some chanting that I did for that episode to hearken back to it. But yep, uh, I perform every piece of music you hear, and I also write it new every week. I love to write music, and I'm a classically trained musician. So thanks for asking. Next, Adam and Marky on Instagram asked me, Do you know anything about seances? My sister-in-law saw an ad for a haunted walk and seance at Pioneer Village. The promos look very spooky. I replied on Instagram, but just to reiterate here, uh, while I'm fascinated with seances and have had a few experiences with psychic mediums and some uh, silly slash reckless Ouija experiments as a teenager, I haven't actually participated in a seance. You may remember the episode Making Connections, um, which features a seance, if you're interested in listening to it. Um, I'm not sure if I'd take part in a seance or not. I'm very superstitious about this stuff, and judge this how you like, but I would want to be very careful with it. Um, You know, uh, make sure everything was safe and uh, that you're not inviting anything negative into your life. I'm happy to discuss my thoughts more about this if anyone's interested, but I won't bore you for now. As for Pioneer Village, oh, by all means, do the haunted walk. Um, I think Toronto, like most cities, has a rich history of ghost stories, and I take an interest in that that is more uh, historical, I think, than spiritual. So at the very least, you'll learn a lot and have fun. Thanks for asking those questions, guys, and feel free to keep tweeting, messaging, Instagramming, or emailing me any thoughts or questions you have. Uh, You can reach me on Twitter at DarkColdNight, Instagram at DarkColdNightPodcast, or email at DarkColdNightPodcast at gmail.com, or on my Facebook page on a Dark Cold Night. Go figure. (laughs) So, um, or you can share your thoughts via review. And if you could do so, that would be so appreciated. Reviews really help podcasters out. So feel free to drop me a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, Podknife, Facebook, or anywhere else you guys can leave a review. Much appreciated, guys. Uh, Some ways that you can support the show financially are to A, buy me a coffee at coffee.com. 
It really means a lot. I'm trying to save up to buy some new equipment to help me compose and produce my own music, speaking of which, and uh, make this show sound even better. So you can find me on coffee at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. You can also become a patron on Patreon, where you can pick an amount to donate monthly. I'm there at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And hey, if you're not in a position to do that, but you still want to help, download Radio Public and listen to the show there. It's a free app where each listen through Radio Public actually contributes to paying me a little bit per listen. So if you can do any of those things, wow, I would be so very grateful. And um, if you do review the show or donate to it, I will likely give you an on-air shout-out here. Anyway, uh, that's enough for me. (laughs) Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and I hope you're having a great week yourself. Take care, and talk soon.